This podcast is supported by listeners like you. We're grateful for your tax-deductible donation at newthoughtphilly.org or the link in the episode description. A practical prayer is a prayer that works. These discussions between Reverend Bill Marcioni and Carol Lawrence dive into the details of how it works and how to work it. Reverend Bill is a New Thought minister and the author of Practical Prayer for Real Results. Your new life begins with a new thought. Carol Lawrence is on a spiritual quest, finding the New Thought teaching after decades on the pulpit in three different traditional denominations. I've got some questions. Together, they're exploring the philosophy and activities that come together from many of the world's religions to create the practical spirituality that is New Thought. Welcome to the Practical Prayer Podcast. I'm Carol Lawrence, and I'm here with Reverend Dr. Bill Marcioni. And you've been digging through Ernest Holmes' writing in the Science of Mind textbook and coming up with some things that make your head tilt to the <laughs> side like exactly a puppy right. hearing a high-pitched so noise. You, <laughs> you know that, you know my, um, my morning, <laughs> it's not a ritual, I call it spiritual practice, but, or spiritual discipline, but I read from 5 o'clock till 8 that's not quite true. The meditation is still about 5.30. Then I read till 8, and then I come on to the meditation that you have, New Thought Philadelphia. And then I go back and salvage what I can mm-hmm. after that, because I have to make a mental shift. <laughs> and I read until 9. So that's a lot of reading, right? And <laughs> yeah, and I, I just have done it for that's years. That's a bunch of reading. It. But once in a while, I make sure that I go back to Science of Mind textbook by Ernest Holmes, because I really love him. And when you're reading, sometimes there's a lot of other opinions and other conversations about him. So I like to go back to the textbook every now and then. So this is what happened. I went back there this week. And I wish I had marked the pages, but I didn't. He was talking about God. And there was such a sense of duality in in his language. And, uh, you know, when I first started, I didn't pick it up because it was very consistent with traditional Christian teaching. So it didn't raise any flags for me. But now that I'm so far down mm-hmm. the road and then I went back, I said, wait a minute. He's talking about God as a separate entity. And some of the scriptures that he quoted supported it. You know, and so am I confused? Mm -hmm. Am I not reading right? Can you help me with this? Are you confused, not reading right? Can I help you? Can I help you with this? Yeah. We'll go with that to begin with. Let me first say, Ernest Holmes, in my opinion, was a genius. He was our synthesis. He was the one who was able to take the input from lots and lots of different religions and spiritual practices and put them together into one very simple idea that works across all of them, which is pretty powerful. And he did this a hundred and a hundred or so years ago. And there were a bunch of things that were going on for him. And if we remember in context, what he was up to and what he was trying to do, it kind of informs what's going on. Now, what seems to me happened is over the course of his life, his 
way of understanding the teaching and his way of teaching the teaching evolved. And he was able to step up his game a little bit. There's the thought that in the very beginning, what he was doing was he was describing Hinduism in Christian terms. And that was the, the crossover between them. So what happens is when you do that, there's a lot of Christian terms that come in. And by the way, it makes them really accessible and comfortable for people who come from a Christian background because you get them to jump in because, oh, we're, it's the same God, it's the same language, it's the same scripture, we can be okay, mm -hmm. and then start to turn the ship. He has a tendency to use blind quotes. He'll quote the Bible, but it'll just be quotation marks, and he won't say where it came from or which version of the Bible it was. And you don't necessarily know if it was the Bible or the Bhagavad Gita or a different book. So he just has these blind quotes. And he's also prone to hyperbole. The greatest invention ever known to man. Well, that's stepping up here a little bit. And if you take any of those pieces, you could really push back and say, what? What the heck? What do you, you can't do that. You can't do that. This is, if this is going to be the textbook, if this is going to be the scholarly work, you can't do blind quotes. You need to cite your sources. But when he wrote it, it was the science of mind. It was this idea that he had of how to explain the new thought teaching, which he'd learned from other people who were doing the same sorts of things. And he was putting the pieces together. It became the textbook later. It became his reference work later. And in fact, there were two different versions of it. There's one in 1926 and another one in 1938. And in between, it got much more complicated. If you read the 1926 version, it is a much clearer explanation of religious science than you get in the detail in the other one. There's a lot of theosophy that got added into it and a lot of complexity that might have been helpful at the time, but isn't necessarily helpful now. They... My other question is, the first four chapters of the textbook before it gets to chapter one, which we refer to as the Gospels of Ernest Holmes, is really succinct. It's what it is, the way it works, how to use it, etc. Those are really very consistent. So was the stuff that you were coming up with in uh, there, or is it farther back you know in the book? I feel terrible even bringing this up, and I didn't have the specifics. It may have been further back in the book, but it was definitely 1938. Okay. I know that, because I have... Yeah, okay. I have yeah. both versions. And that's the one we refer to as a I textbook. I was reading 1938. Just because the, ang the language might have been a little bit easier, too. Okay. Some other things. Yeah, and it's, it's much more of a textbook than the, uh, the 1926 version. And the important thing is that all of the ideas are really powerful and they're really good. And as we deepen into the teaching, we can notice that he'll say, here's a powerful prayer. And then he'll do an affirmation because he's not mentioning the infinite at all. And he'll say, meditate like this. And then he'll do a spiritual mind treatment. So his language was spotty. And you could tell what he meant, even though he didn't say it very clearly in, in some cases. It's about being able to understand what's in there and take out the parts that are helpful. What I will say for you is you can read the Science of Mind textbook over and over again and get something different every time. And the book isn't changing. What's changing mm -hmm. is Carol. Do you want to say more? <laughs> but, well, well, you can. You want me to say sure. more? Yeah. I have the advantage of not having started writing my book until almost 100 years after Ernest wrote his book. 
and was able to spend a lot of time with myself figuring out which parts I found to be the most important and dispensing with the rest of them, which is why practical prayer for real results takes his notion of spiritual mind treatment and the five steps that this group does and the seven steps that that group does and numbering them to be different in which is step number four because you don't know whether it's the gratitude step or it's the refutation step, et cetera, et cetera. So didn't number them. Mm-hmm. I labeled them and we put icons on them and was very clear about the importance of each step, which Ernest Holmes didn't do specifically. He didn't say that there are five steps or seven steps. Over the course of his career, there were different places where he said how to do it. And what I really wanted was, here's a guide for somebody who wants to start doing it, who wants to use this incredibly powerful prayer technique to create some change in their life and just make it really simple. Here's a primer, just do it this way. So I was able to take his language and simplify it to take one of the things that can be done and put a framework on it. Once somebody learns how to do practical prayer or spiritual mind treatment in the five-step, seven-step framework, and they're adept at it, then they can start freestyling. You don't have to do the steps in that order. You can start with a gratitude step instead of a recognition step. You can start where you are and open something new. You can understand that you're going to do a single-step realization prayer instead of a five- or seven-step argumentative prayer. And it's understanding the technique that we're going to be using. And you read Ernest Holmes, and you know that the affirmation or the realization step is supposed to be powerful, positive, personal, and present tense. And you see one where he's talking about something he doesn't want, or more often it's talking about something that will happen. And you go, no, you can't do that. But he didn't have that structure. He didn't have that piece in place when he was doing his I did run into exactly that. Exactly. But because I took a course... (laughs) I knew what was <laughs> I knew what was happening. So now I can read prayers and see the steps, the five steps, and if and there may be not one, two, three, four, five that way. There might be three, two, one, whatever. I can see all the pieces in it. So that was good. Yeah. Um, what and I'm hypersensitive about this. I know it. I know it. Coming, making this leap from the traditional church to new thought. I'm going to find a better way to say it because it makes it sound like I went into something like was really you know, weird or something. No, I don't mean that. But it, there are some shifts that you have to make in your thinking. But I'm hypersensitive to it because having been raised in the traditional church, served as pastor and other leadership positions in that church, I, of course, was an advocate and very fluid with the teachings. However, they were often not life-giving interpretations, or more precisely, some were death-dealing and hurtful to some people. And so I would conveniently set that aside as something that I didn't understand until I couldn't do that any longer. Now, having said that, coming, making the Mm. clear decision that I am in new thought, and I'm going down this road, and you said, welcome home, I'm here, (laughs) okay, I am hypersensitive about (laughs) anything that even hints at where the interpretations that I understood. So not throwing the Bible out, but the interpretations, it just shook me for a second that he referenced some of those scriptures and the way he was using them and maybe 
I can find them and have them the next time. I'll definitely find them and have the exact uh, quotes and page numbers the next time. But, you know, I just got nervous about that. And I said, wait a minute, I don't, I don't want to come to some place where I, you know, left. Where they were, because there's a, there's a lot of hurt there. And, and not only <laughs> me, I mean, I feel yeah. good because I walked. And I said, no more. But there are other people that are still there. And I do have feelings about that right. as well. I mean, it's their, it's their choice as to whether they want to stay or go. But the teaching is still there. Do you know what I mean? And I didn't, I was like, uh-uh, that's not right. over here now, is yeah. it? <laughs> the notion of as above, so below. Above what? Above what? There is one. Just having that idea. We can turn our awareness, our attention to the infinite and think of that as being above and then below being the world that we're living in. And the fact of the matter is it's all one, it is different ways of looking at the same thing. In the science of mind teaching symbol, there are three different sections. There's spirit that's up at the top, and there's the creative law that responds to the creative intention, that intelligence of spirit. And then at the bottom is the form. So when we look at it that way, it's as above, so below, but it's very intentionally inside of a circle. The circle represents the oneness. So it is one that's acting in these different ways. It is really easy to get distracted by the thought that God is out there. And as soon as we make God be some, something that's not an indwelling presence, then suddenly God can be its own personality and can have its own desires and opinions and judgments and then can do things to force our hand or block our way or otherwise engage with us like a family member, especially like a dominant family member who's going to push us around. And the important thing to remember through all of the scripture, through all of the writing, through all of the teaching and all of the learning is that there is one. And if we look at something where Ernest Holmes is talking about a situation and it just reeks of duality, if we remember that he is talking about the one in terms of duality and then understand that he might have been doing a particularly good job or a particularly bad job of it, because not all of his papers got an A-plus and a gold star. Some were better than others. And I'm not going to judge Ernest Holmes. I just understand where some of the pieces are. And there's some stuff that's been written since Ernest Holmes' time, which is spectacular insight that adds on to what, uh, what he contributed. So our job as students and practitioners of this New Thought teaching is to understand what the teaching is for us and then view what we're hearing through the lens of either that was the time, that was the circumstance, that was somebody who said something that wasn't exactly what they meant. I, I appreciate that because it did. you, you are reminding me to, to look at it that way and and. I I appreciate that. The metaphysical interpretation of scripture I find so life-giving and so refreshing. And there's so much freedom and peace in it. And used as a tool, incredible growth potential in looking at scripture that way. So I'm I've always looked at it that way like sneaking on the side in the closet. <laughs> <laughs> so you know in new thought it's just the way it's like a way of life so to so to speak if i could use that paint it with a broad brush 
So if I see something that remotely, you know, kind of challenges that, my antenna goes up and saying, am, am I correct in this? You know, so I know where to get my answer. I was going to call you. <laughs> yeah, I figure I'll wait because there might be <laughs> people listening, you know, that are where I am and, you know, bump into that. And so it, it's kind of important. Oh, yeah. But yeah, thanks for reminding me about looking at it as one and it may be expressed not incorrectly, but differently, you know, in a way that I'm not picking up right now. So now I'm going to go back and if, I pretty much know where it is because yeah. I use ebooks, right? I'll find it. So I'm going to go back, like right after the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's take a break. And when we come back, we will talk about the hidden gems in Scripture. Learn to put practical prayer to work in your life. The steps are simple to learn and let you begin to get real results to create the life of your dreams immediately. Reverend Bill Marcioni's widely acclaimed book, Practical Prayer for Real Results, gives you a clear summary of the new thought principles behind practical prayer and the series of easy-to-understand steps found in the most effective prayers from religions and spiritual practices all over the world and throughout history. Practical prayer is not a replacement for your religion or practice. It's a technique to make the work you do in consciousness even more effective. The book includes 40 prayers on various topics that you can adapt as needed and use as your own. Practical Prayer for Real Results is available in paperback, Kindle, and audiobook on Amazon or at b-the-light.com. That's b-the-light.com. Welcome back to the Practical Prayer Podcast. I'm Carol Lawrence here with Reverend Dr. Bill Marcioni. We've been talking about duality, and you straightened some things out for me. Thank you so much. Oh, I'm so glad. And we were talking a little bit about Scripture as well. And it's really easy for us to understand Scripture in a particular way and then go back and look at it again and understand it in a different way. And the example that I'll give is the 23rd Psalm, Old Testament. And the writing is beautiful. And there's a line in there that people think of as being ominous and threatening. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And that sounds like an ominous and foreboding thing, and like I'm in a dangerous territory, and that the whole rest of the psalm is about being protected from being in the valley of the shadow of death. And then when we look at the actual words and unpack it, so there's death, okay, and then there's a valley. All right, so valleys, that's fine. I can be, I've been in a valley before. It's between a couple of mountain ranges. Nice. But this valley is the valley of the shadow of death, which means that there's death implied. Well, where is there room for us to move around where death is possible? It's life. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, yea, though I walk through life, knowing that it is for a limited time only, you know, there's an expiration date on this. I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. And that's about being able to walk through life with God being with us. Mm -hmm. There's nothing ominous about that. 
it sounds spooky. And the language makes it sound powerful, but it's the power is in the realization that I am here. And I'm walking through this life yeah. with the infinite. Yes. So, yeah, see, you'll get me talking about scripture like that forever. Because <laughs> that's... Mm-hmm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Okay, well, what, what's a shepherd? We've even talked about this before. What does a shepherd need more than anything else in order to be a shepherd? Sheep. Exactly. A shepherd without sheep is <laughs> yeah. just a guy with a stick. <laughs> so there is a partnership. There is an engagement between us and the infinite. We're playing our part as being individualized expressions of that one infinite power, and we're being guided by that infinite intelligence in the same way that a sheep can be guided by the shepherd. The purpose for the shepherd is not to show off how good a shepherd he is, it's to have the sheep go through their lives in a safe and harmonious way. So when you think of it that way, it's like, oh, there, that's not the boss up there above me controlling me, that is that yeah. infinite indwelling presence Absolutely. that's protecting me. And we can find that in lots of places in scripture where it's so easy to misunderstand and it's been so misrepresented so often that we just knee-jerk reaction think it's what we've been told that it means and it, it means something really different when we actually stop and look at it through this metaphysical lens you got to stop though and take it and take a deep breath and look at it now those who are not um indoctrinated with traditional christianity it's it's a little bit easier i think but when you're when you jump ship and you're coming over to, to the uh, another side it takes a bit, you know. There's a there's a learning curve, but but there's certain things oh, yeah. that I put in place that make it easier. Number one, I look for the life in it. You know, I start I start from the positive, yep. and then work my way back. I find that's the the easiest way to understand it until it becomes a habit. Mm -hmm. And there are some parts of scripture that we are told mm -hmm. don't mean what they so obviously mean. When Jesus said, all this I do, you can do, and more, he was not speaking in riddles. He was saying that he was not special, that mm -hmm. everything that he did, we could do. He just knew how to do it. He just had that light, and he had that awareness, and he had that understanding, and he was, he was trying to yeah. cheer everybody else on. Yeah. And we discard that and say the only way to get to the level that he was at is to acknowledge that we're sinners and that we have to go through him to get to the good stuff. But approaching it from that level, there is a, there are limitations. Then, you know, you you will never reach the level of higher consciousness, so to speak, because the line is that people would say, "Well, I'm not Jesus. You know, I can do good, but I'm not Jesus." But Jesus says you could do every, the same things that I do, which means you got to step back and look at that a different way. And to me, that's encouraging, and I use the mm -hmm. term freeing because now I'm free to think of options that I may not have been free to think of before. Yeah, and there's also the part where new thought can wrap back on itself because we also heard, as a man believes, so it is done unto him. And if I believe that I can't do everything that Jesus did, if I believe that Jesus was better than I was and I'm not good enough, then the law says, yep. And the experience that we have is that we can't do it, that we're not Jesus, that we don't have it going on, that we're not up to the task. And it's an inside job. 
it's not that Jesus was better than us, and we believe that Jesus was better than us, and that, that makes yeah. Jesus better than us. You call that a wraparound, but you know that's a that's still a principle that's working. I mean, it's it's the truth that's out there. It it's a fact. Mm-hmm. It's just how you perceive it. You know what what you think, and if you think it's not going to work and it doesn't, well, that doesn't make it not true, right? Mm-hmm. And we're talking about Ernest Holmes in the Science of Mind textbook, and my favorite page is page fifty-two to fifty-three, where Holmes says the law yes. always works, even when it yes. works by appearing not to work. If you believe that it won't work, then yeah. it will work by making it appear that it doesn't work, and. On the one hand, that can seem like an incredible cop-out. Like, oh, well, you did a prayer for something and you didn't get what you wanted, but that's the prayer working because you didn't believe it. And that's also the whole core and heart of the teaching. Is if I say I want something and I believe I deserve something different, I'm going to get what I believe. Mm-hmm. And that's what he was saying on page 52. And it's done to me as I believe. And... The easy thing, as far as I'm concerned, about the New Thought teaching is if you want to see what's in your belief system, look at your life. It's a life-size topographical map of your belief system. If, in fact, it's done to you as you believe, there it is. That's pretty scary. I mean, (laughs) when I first read that, I'm like, oh, my God, will I ever see daylight on this? But but then once you, you know, once you look at that... I come from a perspective of there's possibilities. The possibilities are endless. So I look at my life, and I thought, mm-hmm. oh, this is a jungle, right? This is just not, no, I'm not doing this. Plus, I don't have that many years left on the planet to fix this. But then if you change what you're thinking, you can change your life and all of that. I mean, once you get started, I mean, the jungle disappeared. You know, there are things that need to be fixed, but it's, it's not nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be. Hmm. Yeah. Well, you, you know, have like time left on the planet. That's right. But you just, the rest of your I always life say, if you live out. to be a hundred, you know, by the time you get to 90, you're not going to really care. It's like, whatever have, it's done now, let's just slide. But <laughs> no. <laughs> ask your mom. <laughs> no, she's over 90. No. <laughs> yeah, she's yeah. Uh, if you're gonna be um, live long, you got to be like her. But that's okay. to me that's new thought also, because everything is ever evolving. You don't. There's no end to what you can know. And and so the more open you are, the more you're able to see and learn. So I think she must have read that somewhere because she does that all the time. Let's take a break, and when we come back, we're going to do a practical prayer for transcending doubt and understanding our belief and moving beyond it. You can put practical prayer to work in your life, and Reverend Bill Marcioni can help. He is offering an online class that teaches you to create your own practical prayer in five weekly one-hour sessions. The final hour brings your practical prayer together, anchored in live original music by a notable New Thought musician. Practical prayer is based on the most effective prayers found in religions and spiritual practices all over the world. Use it to deepen ever more fully into the truth of your spiritual nature. It's the core of a transformational spiritual practice that's simple 
even if it's not always easy. Reverend Bill is also available for private spiritual counseling prayer sessions. Together, you'll lean into the challenges you've experienced in life and explore the transformation that's possible through practical prayer. You'll uncover old, hidden beliefs and uproot them to make way for the life of your dreams. Everything you need to know is on the website at b-v-light.com. That's b-v-light.com. Welcome back to the Practical Prayer Podcast. I'm Carol Lawrence here with Reverend Dr. Bill Marcioni. We're going to do a prayer, and the prayer is about that page 52 thing in the Science of Mind textbook where Dr. Holmes says the law always works even when it works by appearing not to work. And what happens is that brings up our belief system, so that really uncovers what we believe because what's showing up in our life is what we're believing. And if we want something that's not showing up in our life, there's some doubt. There's some distance between what we say we want and what we believe we deserve. So this prayer is going to be about understanding what we believe and opening ourselves up to a grander idea, a greater possibility for our lives in whatever area that is. Because it's different for everybody. There's not a one-size-fits-all. I can't decide this is what the good life looks like and then make everybody live the good life because it's different for everybody. This is personalized. So this prayer is going to be about understanding what it is that we are really yearning for and letting go of whatever is in the way of it. And we'll do that by turning our attention away from the details and the, the specifics of the world around us. As you're comfortable and it's safe to do so, go ahead and close your eyes so that we become aware of that one infinite creative power, that one divine presence, God itself, that indwells us and indwells everything. There is only God throughout everything that exists everywhere. Before it was here, it was God. Darkness and void or the Big Bang, it's all traced back to that one, that one power and presence that began sharing itself as all of its creation. Everything from the largest planet in the farthest galaxy in this grand universe to the cells and atoms and particles that make up our body and everything in the world around us. Everything is that one shared in its own specific way. And as those individualized expressions of the one, as each of us moves through our experience of life and existence, we're bumping up against those other individualized expressions divine power and presence. And that rubbing, that bumping, that interaction happens in ways that bring joy and comfort and peace and uplift and harmony and what we call good into our lives. And also bring friction and challenge and learning experiences and what we describe as difficulties or sadness or tragedy or bad stuff into our lives. And the creative process that is creating each of these new experiences is always in motion. It is always responding to conscious intent in the same way that the infinite said, let there be and there is. We can use that same infinite mind, that same creative law, to state, let there be and allow it to be. 
And so what I know is happening now for each one who's within the sound of my voice is that we have an even deeper awareness of that which we are yearning for, that which we desire. Not the specifics of who or how or what, but the feeling, the texture, the tone, the, the nuance of who we are in that new experience, of how it feels to be there. We can do it by visualizing what will it be for me to be in that experience of life that I want to be having? What will it look like? Where will I be? Who will I be with? What's the temperature of the air? What does it smell like? What are the circumstances that are surrounding this new feeling of success, of goodness unfolding in my life? And then invite the infinite to inform us as to what it is that has kept us from having that up until now. Just to allow it to come into our awareness. Not to hold on to, not to be able to use as an excuse of why I don't have what I'm looking for, but as an understanding, as guidance, as insight, as to what's no longer serving, what we're ready to move beyond. And so, knowing that there is this good available, knowing there has been this limitation in the past, we are free to pivot from the limitations of the past and open ourselves up to that newness of the future. And invite and allow and instruct that creative power, that divine law that has always responded to conscious intention. To let it respond to this new idea, to bring this new experience into being in ways that bring joy and harmony and prosperity and vitality and creativity and connection and uplift to us and to everybody involved. This is how the light shines. This is how love unfolds. And I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful for the good that's showing up in the lives of each one who's hearing this. And I'm grateful to be able to speak this word of intention and release it into that creative law, the one that has always said yes, because it only has that one answer. This belief is clear in mind, and it is already in process activating the law. And so I let it go. I let it be. I know it's so. So it is. And so it is. Beautiful. Amen. That was great. That was fun. The Practical Prayer Podcast with Reverend Bill Marcioni and Carol Lawrence is a production of BeTheLight.com. Be-the-light.com. Where you can find more information about practical prayer for real results. Our theme is by Music of Wisdom. You can learn about the spiritual community of New Thought Philadelphia with daily guided meditations, weekly celebrations of spirit, and Reverend Bill's classes in practical spirituality at NewThoughtPhilly.org. This podcast is supported by listeners like you. We're grateful for your tax-deductible donation at newthoughtphilly.org or the link in the episode description.